Welcome in to the mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson, and as always, we've got a lot to talk about. Yes, I will have my opinion on the Halo finale. I am actually going to do a Halo recap this week. But we'll end the show with that, because it's going to be me getting very angry. Let's start off with the good things to talk about. We have a release date for Modern Warfare 22. Uh, if you're new here, uh, Modern, Modern Warfare 22, as is self-explanatory, is my stand-in name for this year's reboot of Modern Warfare 2. Because... Call of Duty Modern Warfare is a unique title. The OG Call of Duty, the OG Modern Warfare, the first one in that trilogy, was Call of Duty 4, colon, Modern Warfare. Its sequel was just Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. It was technically Call of Duty 6, but it was Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. But you can't call it Call of Duty 6, Modern Warfare 2. So they just called it Modern Warfare 2, and that naming trend has continued. Black Ops 1, Modern Warfare 3, Black Ops 2. And now we've gotten really weird, because Black Ops Cold War was an interquel to BO1 and BO2. Because <laughs> it came after BO1, but before BO2, even though it came out eight years after BO2. Anyway, all that to say... I have taken to calling this year's game Modern MW22. It is not the 22nd COD game. I don't even think it's the 20th. It is the... It is... It is... Uh, if my math is correct, it is the 19th. It is technically Call of Duty 19. But... that That makes this series sound even more ridiculous when you put it that way. When you say, oh yeah, it's it's Call of Duty 19. Hey, that would be... <laughs> it's the same thing with Assassin's Creed. Can you imagine calling Valhalla Assassin's Creed... What? Uh, four was the last one that was numbered. So Unity was five. Syndicate was six. Uh, Origins was seven. Odyssey was 8, Valhalla was 9. Can you imagine calling Assassin's Creed Valhalla Assassin's Creed 9? No, like after 4, I think you stop putting numbers on it. At least with video games, because you can do... You can do numbers with movies. Star Wars went up to 9. Fast and Furious is going up to 10. But calling Modern Warfare 22 Call of Duty 19 <laughs> just sounds hilarious. But for now, I'm calling it Modern Warfare 22 because it is coming out in 2022 and thankfully, it is the sequel to 2019's Modern Warfare. And, you know, I'm not calling it Modern Warfare II because that's how it's spelled. Like, if I'm spelling them, I'm, if I'm writing them out, I can make the distinction. If it's the number two, it's the game from 13 years ago. It's the game from 2009. If it's Roman numerals, it's the game from 2022. So... All that out of the way, we got... It was it was a teaser. Th this was straight up a teaser. It was it showed no gameplay. It was all live-action footage. Uh, it was a very cool shot 
of like a drone flying through uh, the port of Long Beach, showing off basically just different character ports on barges and shipping crates and trucks and other shipping equipment, which I guess with the rumors of this game being about chasing down drug cartels kind of makes sense. And now that black ops and modern warfare are one unified timeline, like the entire original black ops series is canon to modern warfare now. Cause like Zakayev was in cold wars campaign. spoiler alert for a game that came out a year and a half ago. Like, Zakayev, a Modern Warfare character, was in Cold War's campaign. And when I saw him and they introduced him, I almost dropped my controller on the ground. I was like, Imran Zakayev, in a Black Ops game. Okay, we have have merged timelines. And then that made it clear that the the gas uh, Hadir stole in Modern Warfare 2019 was Nova 6. Which means the Russians are probably still making Nova 6 gas. Which, you know, terrifying that that's just in the background of the Call of Duty series right now that, you know, almost 60 years later, the the Russians are are still producing are still producing Nova 6. And they were producing it in the 80s still, like at least um uh, Perseus, Perseus was doing it. I don't know if the actual Soviet Union was doing it, but Perseus certainly was. Like, they're still producing Nova Six. At least some elements within Russia of the Call of du- of the current Call of Duty universe are still producing Nova Six gas in the twenty first century. That's just horrifying. That that's just hanging in the background. And I don't know how much we'll see of it in 22 because I know it's like, all right, we're chasing down drug cartels and we're we're coming up on when Black Ops 2 takes place. <laughs> like if this game is set in 2022, there are now three years. <laughs> like If that game is assuming it's set in 2022, just like the, the last one was set in 2019. We now have three years between now and Black Ops 2. I don't think they expected that when they made Black Ops 2 set in 2025. Like, it seems like the drug cartel is still going to be an issue in three years. Because, <laughs> like, heck, the map in Cold War, the, the map cartel, was um, the, the villain from Black Ops 2. I'm totally blanking on his name. I, I know it's not Vargas. Vargas is the new guy. I don't remember his name, but the villain from the villain for Black Ops 2. What was this guy's what was this guy's name? Black Ops 2 villain. Menendez. That's right. Raul Menendez. Cartel was his family's plantation. His cocoa plantation. Like that was and there's a picture of him in in the house on that map. So like, we're probably going to start to see tie-ins to that story. Like Raul Menendez might be in the background of this game. 
But that's all that's all speculation. Shocker, me speculating on things. Uh, me speculating on lore things. Who would have guessed? But we get the trailer, and we essentially get introduced to all of Task Force 141 Red Team. Because there's a reference to Red Team in the trailer from Captain Price. And it's, it's Price himself, who seems to be the leader because he is the highest ranking member. Uh, Captain Price, Ghost, uh, Lieutenant Simon Ghost Riley, uh, Kyle Garrick from the first game, who is the, the rebooted version of Gaz, uh, who didn't die in the first game, uh, Soap McTavish, Soap McTavish, always good to have him back, uh, they... I could have sworn I heard them make reference to Roach. There just wasn't a picture of him. And uh, the new guy, Alejandro Vargas. I I believe that's his name. I, I know it. I know his first name's Alejandro. It, was his last name Vargas? Yeah, Vargas. Colonel Alejandro Vargas is the other guy. He is the new guy. In uh, Task Force 141 Red Team. So, um, because one of the, one of the good parts of Warzone were the cinematics and like the final cinematic of the Modern Warfare 2 era was them deactivating all the nukes that, um, that, um, AQ, that AQ were going to detonate in Verdansk. And you have, it was, uh, it was Soap, Alex, Ghost, uh, Gaz, Farah, and Nikolai were, uh, were like in the bunker. And then they talked to Ghost, not Ghost, uh, Soap on comms. And it was, is Soap's original voice actor. So I'm glad he's coming back because he's very good. And you hear, you hear... Uh, you hear soap and, and you like Captain Price identifies him as soap, even though he wouldn't have to, because every Call of Duty fan knows that voice. Other than the other than the kids who are too young to really know who soap is, but I feel like he's become such an ingrained part of COD culture, everyone knows who soap is. Even if you didn't play MW2 in 2009. But yeah, we get uh get all the members of task 41 they are all alive again uh gaz is still alive soap's still alive ghost is still alive i don't trust vargas like look at his character portrait like i'm, I'm gonna go to Co i'm gonna go to cod's twitter page right now and just look at his twitter portrait again his twitter portrait his uh character portrait that they that they showed for a, a brief second in the trailer, and then they tweeted them all individually with uh, with their names. Captain John Price and Task Force 141 are back. Meet the squad. Picture of Captain Price. Picture of Gaz. Picture of Ghost. Picture of Soap. And picture of Vargas. He looks like Menendez. Like, this guy... 
this guy looks like this guy looks super untrustworthy. I mean, he's the he is the first he is the first Mexican main character in a Call of Duty game. <laughs> like he he's the first Mexican main character in a Call of Duty game. Like there there've been a few like Hispanic characters, but they've all been side characters and you you hardly ever see their faces. That's one thing COD has gotten a lot better at is actually developing the side characters. Cuz like go back and play MW2. Ghost wasn't actually that developed. He just looked cool. Like they developed him later in like flashback material. The only characters who were truly developed in the original Modern Warfare trilogy were Price, Soap, Makarov, and Shepard. Two heroes, two villains. <laughs> I mean, they were both great villains and they were both great heroes, but they were the only ones who really got any kind of development. Like, individual characters in, uh, in each of the games were good too. Like, uh, like Griggs in Modern in COD Four, Foley in two, uh, Sandman in three, yeah, Sandman was the was the team lead. Like they were all good characters, but they weren't that fleshed out. They they really weren't. Outside of outside of Soap Price, Makarov and Shepard, no one got any development in the original Modern Warfare trilogy. Like nobody. Because everyone else just died or never came back in the sequels. So hopefully, hopefully we don't lose Gaz, Soap, or Ghost. And it's Modern Warfare 2, so one of them's... <laughs> Knowing where the, the previous Modern Warfare 2 went, at least one of them's probably going to die. Most likely Ghost. Just because... Uh, just because... Modern Warfare 19's campaign was really intense, and I know they want to uh, go above and beyond that. I don't think we're going to get another no Russian, though. <laughs> like, we are not getting another no Russian. There's zero chance. Like, there will be some really intense scenes, but I don't think they're going to have the player be an active participant in a terrorist attack again. I could be wrong. They could, they could completely surprise all of us. And we, and when we all boot up that game on October 28th and go into campaign for the first time, it's like, Oh, Hey, uh, this campaign contains some really graphic imagery. Uh, do you want the option to skip those levels? Like, Oh, Okay. Because if I recall, that was not an option in Modern Warfare 2019. And 2019 was pretty intense. Like, in the second level... In the second level, you are in the middle of London. And there's a reason there is an, a pretty long Call of Duty mission taking place in the middle of London. Like, right smack in the middle of Piccadilly Circus, too. Uh, for those who don't know, that's basically Times Square. A little bit smaller, because London's not as big as New York, but it's it's effectively just London's version of Times Square. 
Like, that's the equivalent. A lot of shops, very touristy. Like, it's the same as Times Square. And there was an active military engagement going down in the middle of time, in the middle of, of Piccadilly Circus. I feel like, I feel like there are going to be a few levels on the home front in, uh, in MW2. They're going to be more covert just based on the whole, like, oh yeah, all these drone shots of the port of Long Beach. That tells me that might be one of the levels where, uh, Task Force 141 is, uh, dealing with, dealing with some contraband shipments. I think it'll be more covert. Like you're not going to have a level like Wolverines. Like I'd be shocked if we had a level like Wolverines in this game. I don't think, I don't think we're going to get like an all out war situation in this version of the modern warfare trilogy. It'd be cool. But I don't think we're going to get that. I think it's going to be... I think it's going to bleed more into what Black Ops 2 was. Where it was... It was like pitched battle, but it was always like special forces. It was never... It was never formal military versus formal military. It was always like special forces versus insurgency. And I think that's what we're going to get a lot of in this game. Like there's, there's going to be very little like military on military action. You're going to get like spec ops taking on terrorists and drug dealers is, is what I think is going to be going down in this one, like heavily armed because I feel like, like if you're teasing Zakaev, in the last Black Ops game, I think uh, I think we're gonna see Makarov. Like we're like Makarov will probably be in the background pulling the strings, doing his Makarov thing. Because we've also seen uh, Khaled Al Assad. We we saw him briefly in in Modern Warfare 2019, and they they broke Hadir out of Russian prison. So it's probably going to be, it's probably going to be like a new version of uh, what they called the four horsemen in original modern warfare. It's going to be Khaled al-Assad. It's going to be Hadir. And it's going to be uh, Victor Sakaev and Imran Sakaev. I mean, Vic- Victor, Victor's a wimp. <laughs> Victor died so easily. Or the like, or it'll be Victor Zakaev and Makarov because Imran is dead. Like Imran, Imran died in 2010. They're keeping that part of the timeline intact. And so it could be like like Makarov is the the fourth member of that group because he actually was in the original timeline too, but he had his back to the camera. So they revealed it was him in Modern Warfare Three. Like the other three, you could see their faces. It was Al Assad and Zakayev Jr. and Zakayev Sr. Even though they're not Jr. and Sr., they're Imran and Victor, but you get my point. So yeah, uh, the main thing, I just hope to God this game is good. Because if not, God is screwed. 
Like, if this game is bad, Call of Duty is screwed. Because we're not getting... We're not getting another game next year. And I don't know if this game is bad. People are going to want to come back in two years for whatever Black Ops 2024 is going to be. I, I I really don't. But I uh, I rambled on that trailer forever. Let's... Uh, and I'm not going to do a segment transition because it's still Call of Duty. Let's uh, Let's switch over to... The uh, esports side of things, the CDL. Uh, last weekend, made it pretty clear that LA Thieves aren't very good. Like LA Thieves aren't very good right now. They got swept by Seattle. I will, I will call out my own team. They're not very good right now. I think, I think Toronto is back. I, I think Toronto is back. Because Minnesota has proven to be pretty freaking good. Like, they swept LAG. They swept LAG. They they slept they slept both LA teams in two days. Then they beat Toronto in their bounty match, and uh Toronto had to change their Twitter account to be a Rocker fan account for uh for Rocker's match against Florida on Saturday, which was very funny. Which uh, Rocker also won in pretty dominant fashion. I think uh, I think London has dropped off considerably because if they're losing if they're losing to Boston, they lost to they lost to LA Thieves, and I thought, oh, good, we're back. We kicked the crap out of a good team, and then they went to five with Paris a day later. I mean, that was last weekend, but still, point stands. Then they lost to Boston. Then Paris went and got 3-0'd by the subliners. <laughs> LAG clearly have LAG winning the major was just like some land magic of Spart playing out of his freaking mind and no one knowing to do with uh about him and his Volk other than uh chicken out and GA it for uh the rest of the season. I still don't understand that. It was such a hyper situational weapon that was only good on a couple maps. <laughs> like it was only good on Bocage and Tuscan. Like it was terrible on Desert Siege. Desert Siege is just a bad map, and you want your you want your flex to run a sniper on that map anyway. It was terrible on Desert Siege. It's terrible on Berlin, because Berlin's just massive. Like, it's only good on Tuscan and Bocage. And that's it. Like, it's not good on Gav. It's not good on Desert Siege. It's not good on Berlin. Like, it's not good on any of the other maps. Yet everyone's like, nope, GA it. It's like, you you cowards. But this weekend, I have a little bit more of a clear picture. Um, heading into the major, I have zero faith in exactly four teams. Both LA teams and both European teams. I have zero faith in any of the four of them. Uh, I feel like they're both going to end up. Uh, I think as it stands right now, the four of them are headed for the losers bracket to, to start. I think no, New York's New York's done enough winning to, uh, to avoid it. Ugh, they play, 
They play Optic this weekend, though. I don't think it's completely locked in yet. Because for whatever reason, uh, the CDL does not do major standings on their website. So I don't know who's where in the current qualifiers. Like, I just know Atlanta's at the top of the table, followed very closely by Optic. They're, they're literally five points behind them. And Optic is... Optic is back on form. Like even, even with a sub playing, they're getting sweeps. They, they beat Atlanta in four and I'm convinced Atlanta aren't, I mean, their land performance has proven it. Atlanta are not the, the dominant unkillable giants. They were last year. They're, they're just not like, they are significantly better online than they are on land. Cause when the lights are brightest, they lose. Like they got, they got beat pretty like, sure. They made it to, they made it to the finals of the optic major, but like it was a fight most of the way. Like they went to five against thieves. They, they swept ultra, but ultra were not playing their best cod at the optic major. And then, like the finals, that was that was all optic. Like they may have won two maps, but that was all optic. And then they, and then they, they lost to LAG. Like if you sweep Boston, and then lose to LAG in grand finals of an event, like you you just don't have it like you did last year. You're still good. They're still the top team in the league for a reason, but they haven't won a major yet. I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to win Toronto. I think, uh, I think that's going to come down to probably either Toronto or optic, depending on how the, how the bracket ends up shaking out. But right now, like right now, the top of my power rankings is optic, Texas. They may be in second place in the standings, but the top of my power rankings heading into the major is Optic Texas, then Atlanta Phase, then Minnesota, honestly, because they've been playing really well. Then Toronto, because they have actually, they have lost. They lost to Minnesota, and they lost in five. So, yeah, right next to each other. Then I'd probably put, Seattle's had a very easy schedule, if we're being honest. But I'd put Seattle right after them, because they're still... Like, they were absolutely dominant against LA Thieves, so I'd put Seattle next. And then it's kind of just a massive jumble from there. And then uh, Paris and New York. Paris. Paris. New, no, New York, Paris. New York, London, Paris are bottom three. Like, after... Like, New York's only win in this quote-unquote stage right now is against Boston. And Boston's only win is against London. So like Boston, New York, London, Paris are kind of the bottom four. Then LA thieves right above them. LA, the two LA teams right there near the bottom at, what would that be? That'd be, uh, that'd be seven and eight. Then just, you know, and then just, all the way on back up to uh, Optic, uh, Florida, 
Florida, Seattle, Minnesota. Or no, Florida, Seattle, Toronto, Minnesota, uh, Optic, or Atlanta, Optic. I think that's everybody. But yeah, that's... Uh, I'm interested to see how this weekend goes. Just because it feels... It feels like a lot of mismatches, which is pretty common in the CDL. But teams who desperately need wins, uh, New York and LA Thieves, their their last matches before the major are against Optic. If they play well, I think Minnesota can actually beat Atlanta in the last game on Friday. I really can. They they've been playing very good COD right now. Like picking up Havoc was a huge pickup for them, and he has been very good for them. London to Toronto London and Toronto should be fun because it's, you know, the two EU rosters, even if it's not the two EU teams. New York versus Optic will be fun just because uh New York tweeted a very funny picture of uh Krim and Scump's faces edited onto the Step Brothers poster with with their names like Ian Porter, Scump Abner, or Scump Abner, Seth Abner where Will Ferrell and, and John C. Riley's names were. Like, it was it was very funny. It, it was a very well-done Photoshop, too. Like, you could tell their faces are Photoshopped on, but it's not, like... It's not in a cheesy way. Go, go check their Twitter, and you'll, you'll see what I mean. Like, it looks... It's a well-done Photoshop job. It's clear what it... It's clear that it is Photoshopped, but it doesn't look terrible. Like, their heads are actually attached to the shoulders in the right way. Like, they're actually looking at the camera. Quote-unquote camera. Well, it was a camera that took that promo picture for Step Brothers. And, like, the the picture they used of Crim and Scump is facing the same way. But I'm, I'm interested to see what we get this weekend. Just because, you know, last set of online matches before we head to the Major... And uh, there's no gap. There's no gap this time either. It is because I think no, the rocker major was was only four days. The uh, so we're just we're just jumping straight in. I think I feel like there would have been a gap. I feel like there was a gap for uh, no, there wasn't. I thought there was a gap for uh, for the optic major. There was not. I was I was wrong there. So yeah, we're we go straight into oh yeah, that's what it is. There's a gap between the major and the next stage starting. Cause there's a significant gap. It's three weeks. So uh one more week before the major, and then we gotta wait three weeks for the uh the final set of qualifiers. But I am uh, I'm 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 not super hyped for this weekend because I never really get hyped for the last weekend before a major because, you know, it's online versus LAN. There's a big difference. But I feel like a lot of teams' positions are still somewhat up in the air. And they're going to be wanting to secure better positions heading into, heading into this one because I feel like there's actually going to be somewhat of a... Uh, somewhat of a split crowd at this one. 
Because Rocker fans are going to make the trip. It's not, it's not all that far for them. And then Toronto fans are obviously going to be out in force. New York, New York and Boston fans will probably make the trip, especially Boston fans. It's not a long drive for them at all to, uh, to Toronto. Like this might be like a decently varied crowd compared to, uh, compared to optic and rocker like rocker was rocker fans at first and then it was all optic fans the rest of the weekend and, and then everyone was cheering for lag when uh, when optic got bounced because they wanted they wanted to see the underdog story and they wanted to see a team in purple win the purple trophy Toronto I think is gonna be a little bit more balanced like you'll you'll have loud let's go optic chance especially if they're playing like Paris or Florida. But if they're playing rocker, you'll probably get dueling chance of let's go optic. Let's go rocker or uh, them doing the ROKKR chant, which is honestly better than just kind of the generic. Let's go rocker. But I'm, I'm, I'm definitely hyped for the major. I'm, I'm going to watch the matches this weekend when I'm, when I'm not working, but we shall see where this goes. I'm I'm interested in that Minnesota versus Atlanta match on Friday night. That's going to be the big one. If Minnesota can win that, they shoot up my power rankings heading into the major. Like they they probably jump into number 2. They probably jump up to number 2 behind only Optic. If they can if they can beat Face. And that would that would be their right because uh, they would have also beaten Phase, which would put them on the same level as Optic. So we'll we'll see how this weekend shakes out. Phase are playing back to back too. They're playing last game on Friday night and the first game Saturday afternoon. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a tough turnaround, and it's not the same as playing anything super physical. And they're playing from the team facility, so it's not that big a deal, but. And you kind of have to do that at the major anyway. Like if you make it to the later rounds of the major, you have like one game off before you, before you got to play again, depending on how your run goes. Like if you make a loser's bracket run, you have to play back to back because loser's finals happens right before grand finals. Winner's finals happens a couple hours earlier. And then like they do the rest of the loser's bracket. Like, there's a couple hours in between that. <laughs> but I'm excited for this weekend. I'm very excited for the major. I'm excited to get back on land with a crowd. Because because uh, that's the other part of it. The Pro-Am was a land. But it wasn't a... It wasn't a real land. If you, if you know what I mean. But that's what I got for uh, this hodgepodge of Call of Duty news. Up next, we'll uh, switch gears back over to traditional sports and uh, talk some NHL. That's coming up next here on The Mashup. All right, let's, uh, let's get into a little bit of NHL talk. So, um, as most people who listen to this show know, I record on Tuesday afternoons, so... By the time this comes out, the Oilers could have finished their series 
with the flames up, uh, given how... Actually, no, it's only 2-1. Uh, so that series is not over yet. Oh, yeah, the, the deciding game is Wednesday night. Um, let's get my prediction out of the way for that one. That one is in Denver. Colorado is winning. They're minus 240. They're minus 240 favorites. Uh, I don't see the, uh, I don't see the puck line anywhere, but money line is minus 240 in favor of the abs with a total of six and a half. Um, I think that's going to go over probably because the avalanche are going to score five on their own. Maybe more than that. <laughs> I mean, coming back home, they scored six in St. Louis. They scored six on their own in St. Louis. And they have been blowing teams out of the freaking water at home. So uh, here's your advice. If you hear this before the Blues Avalanche game starts uh, and you live somewhere where you have easy access to sports betting, go go put some money on the over in that one. Because uh, that game is, there. there's zero chance that game stays under six and a half. Like, there's no way. Because the Avs could probably do that on their own. The the Avs could probably cover that total on their own. But let's talk about the series that is actually already over. The Lightning and the Panthers. Battle of Florida. I hyped this series up on this show. I was like, oh, we get two, we get two divisional in-state slash province rivalries in the second round. Heck yeah. We get two just bitter rivalries. And the Battle of Alberta has delivered. The Battle of Florida did not. The Lightning, clearly the better team the entire series. Like, think of it this way. The closest game in that series, I'm pretty sure, was 2 nothing. Yeah. Uh, nope. They had... Uh, What the heck? Oh, that's... I was like, wait, they didn't lose to the Panthers. That was the beginning of the series. Oh, no. Closest game was 2-1. That's right. They won They won as time expired in game two in, uh, in Miami. So the closest game was an absolute heartbreaker for the Panthers because they choked at the final seconds. Uh, the other two games, I would consider blowouts because you win by three and you win by four in a playoff game in a situation where the puck line in most games is at the biggest two and you win by three, you win by four and then you shut them out. Like Andre Vasilevsky gave up a total of three goals this entire series. His team scored 13. That was actually some impressively fast math by my standards, right? Six, Four, six, 11. Yeah, 13. That was the score differential. 13 to three was the goal differential in the Lightning Panthers series. That was one goal a game for the Panthers through the first three games. In that offense, that high-powered President's Trophy winning offense managed three goals. Across three games, one apiece. And that's actually, that's actually really less than a goal a game. It is three quarters of a goal a game because they got shut out in game four. 
Now, credit where credit is due to Andre Vasilevsky. That man is terrifying. That man just doesn't give up goals in the playoffs. The highest number he's given up so far is three. He's done that a couple times. All of them against the Maple Leafs. But uh, every single time, or no, the most he gave up is four in the one game they lost. That is the one, or no, in one of the games they lost. Oh, wait. I'm, I'm counting completely wrong. He did give up five to the Maple Leafs in game one. I'm reading this entirely wrong. But still, in winning efforts, the number of goals he's given up. Three in game two against Toronto. Uh, three in game four against Toronto. Four in game five. So that's a, uh, that's a total of, what, ten goals across three wins? Uh, three in game six and one in game seven. And since game seven, he's been lights out. 2-1, 4-1, 2-1, 5-1, That is every game since Game 7 of the Toronto series. He's given up four goals in the five games since then. And again, at a pace of one a game. Until Game 4, in which he uh, shut them out. And I saw an absolutely insane stat last night. In, uh, in, in the last seven series-clinching games, Andre Vasilevsky has been in net four. He has... Completed a shutout in six of them. He was the best goalie the all regular season. He's going to win the Vesna, and he keeps this up. He might win the Conn Smythe, too. Like, he keeps this up. He's winning the Conn Smythe. Like, even if the Lightning lose, which in the finals, which honestly right now is unlikely, because whoever comes out of Rangers Canes is losing to Tampa probably in five games. Uh, right now, I think it's the Hurricanes, but I don't know. They, the, the Rangers were down against the Penguins too, and they came back and won it in seven. But I also think the Hurricanes are a lot better than the Penguins. <laughs> and that's not just my biases talking. I think the Hurricanes are better than the Penguins. I think they would have beaten the Penguins too. But whoever else goes to the Eastern Conference Final is losing to Tampa. Right now, I think it... Right now, I'm sticking to my Lightning Avs prediction. Because I said that... I'm pretty sure I said that at the beginning of the playoffs. I said I wanted Florida. But, uh... It was not... It was It was not meant to be. The President's Kofi curse struck again. They didn't lose in the first round. They didn't lose in the first round. That's happened way too often for a trophy given to the best, the team with the best regular season record, them losing in the first round. That's happened, uh, that's happened five different times in the history of the trophy, which is the same number of times the teams who won it also won the Stanley Cup. And that hasn't happened in... In over 20 years. <laughs> that hasn't happened in a very long time. <laughs> or I don't... It, I think it was 20 years. Or that that might have been a completely different stat that I'm just uh, conflating. But still, it's uh, been a very long time since the regular season standings winner also won the Stanley Cup. And 
More often than not, they lose in the first round. Didn't happen to Florida, but they still got absolutely embarrassed in the second round by their primary rival. And uh, now here we are. The, the Lightning awaits the winner of Rangers Hurricanes, which, like I said, I believe will be the Hurricanes. Uh, when, unless, now if when this comes out, it is two to two, my prediction will change. My prediction might change because I feel like the Rangers could win, could win a game in Raleigh. Could like win a game in Raleigh to to force a game six, to force a game six back in. Like I could see, I could see the Rangers winning three in a row if they win game four. Like head back to Raleigh for game five. They win that off the momentum of winning tonight as I'm recording this. Actually, in about 20 minutes, that that game will uh, that game will drop the puck, and and then they could ride that momentum. I could see them like winning Game Five on Thursday, and then coming back on Saturday and winning Game Six at Madison Square Garden. Now, if they don't win tonight, series over. If so, here's my two predictions based on uh, based on what is happening, based on what will happen. About three hours from now. If, uh, if, if Carolina wins game four, it's over. They're winning game five on Thursday night. If Carolina loses game four, I could see a situation where New York also wins game five, sends it back home for game six, and they win game six at Madison Square Garden and take the series. So even though Carolina is up right now, this is an important game. But I, I honestly think Carolina can win. I think they can win. They can get this one win at Madison Square Garden. I think they already have one under their belt. No, they did because they won game three. They they have they have the game three win under their belt already. No. I was wrong. They lost game three. But the, the Canes don't strike me as a team to lose two in a row. I don't know. That, that's a bigger game than I realized. Because I, I thought the Rangers stole one in Carolina. I was wrong. Their their win came in game three. So, yeah, that's a big... Game four is a big one. I think And I think whoever wins, wins the series. And whoever wins, wins the series at home, too. <laughs> like, if the, if the Hurricanes win that game, Hurricanes in five. If the Rangers win that game, Rangers in six. There's, there's, there's my prediction. And, uh, blues abs, abs are, abs are going to win. Abs are going to win that one, uh, on Wednesday and they will await probably the Oilers in the Western conference final. Again, same situation. Like the Oilers offense is firing on every single cylinder right now. And like, if, if a Vander Kane is scoring natural hat tricks on you, that's probably the series. Like Calgary might win it when it goes back home for uh Calgary might win game five 
just because like it'll be back home that crowd will be fired up because they're always fired up <laughs> fire flames but uh i don't know with with that oilers top line clicking the way they are and you know the best player in the world and then another guy who was firmly in the top 10 and depending on who you ask right on the fringes of the top 5 like what what do you do against that line because if you get someone in front of if you manage to get someone in front of McDavid that means it probably took two people which means you left either Drysdale or Kane open and with McDavid's passing ability, unless you get someone to break up that pass, which, again, difficult. Because if he sees a stick coming, he'll just saucer it right over the other guy's stick. Unless you find a way to break up that pass, either Dreisaitl or Kane are scoring. And if Kane misses, Dreisaitl is probably fast enough to blow by the one guy covering him and get the rebound and go top shelf. Like, what do you do against that line? No one, seemingly no one can do anything. Like, the the, the series between them and the Avs is going to be very fun because there's going to be no defense. There's going to be no defense. And then when whoever wins that series runs into Vasilevsky, it's not going to be pretty. Because the way Vasilevsky is playing right now, I feel like he is the only person in the NHL who could do anything about how well McDavid and the rest of his line are playing. Now, I'm going to change my prediction. I think it's going to be Tampa Oilers. Because I think... I think the Oilers are just too good. They're just too good. The Avs are one of the best teams in the Western Conference, but the Oilers are just... Offensively, they're firing on every cylinder right now, and it's it's kind of like a destined meeting. This absolutely explosive offense of the Edmonton Oilers going up against the brick wall that is Andre Vasilevsky. Like, that's going to be... That's going to be a fun series to watch. And heck, Colorado's offense is explosive too. Look at... Look at what they've done scoring-wise, both to the Preds and the Blues. But we'll uh, we'll see how the NHL shakes out later this week. I'm I'm like fully back in on the NHL because I actually watched a couple playoff games. So like, oh yeah, this is why I like hockey because uh, the Flyers were horrifically bad this year, and uh, it just kind of burned me. But uh, I am I am fully back in. I'm I'm gonna ride this wave to the Stanley Cup Finals. And I, at this point, the teams I'm cheering for are out. I just like the Flyers never made it in, and the Panthers got got swept in the second round. So I'm I'm just cheering for good hockey at this point. But that's what I got for the NHL. Up next, there's good Halo news and bad Halo news. Well. Uh, We'll get into both of them and wrap up the show. That's coming up next here on the mashup. Hey, welcome back to the mashup. Let's, uh, let's get into halo. We'll do the good stuff first. Um, I have not played it yet, but the new fracture event has dropped. Uh, you get, and the, uh, end with it, that very cool, like 
super freaking diesel punk armor core. Uh, I recently learned what diesel punk is, and I think it's a very cool aesthetic. Uh, for those who don't know, um, basically take the much more familiar steampunk, which is, you know, basically how people in Victorian England would have imagined the future look like. Like, very little change in culture, but everything's very, like, steam-powered and and all that kind of stuff. Every, everything is powered by steam engines, and it leads to some, like, crazy cool tech. Diesel Punk is kind of the same thing, but you advance that timeline to World War One. Like, you advance that timeline. Uh, Victorian era was, was, like, towards the end of the... Uh, Victorian era was uh, 1837 to 1901. So you advance that by about, I would say the peak of it was probably, uh, let's see, Industrial Revolution, because this this coincided. Uh, the Industrial Revolution was uh, 1760 to somewhere between 1820 and 1840. So I'd put it, I'd put it at about 1820. Uh, I'd put it about 1820, and then you advance that by, you know, 90 years. Now, I'd put it a little further up. Steampunk's a little bit further further along, so I'd put it... So you advance it by 40 years, because I'd put Steampunk just a little bit past the Civil War, like 1870s. So you advance, like, that aesthetic by about 30, 40 years to... World War One, like the early, early 1900s. And what the future would have looked like to them. <laughs> and it's a it's a very cool aesthetic. Uh I the it's called Eagle Strike. The Eagle Strike core is a little bulky for my taste, but I do wanna actually unlock this stuff just to just to have the option to switch between like the very stealthy design I have on my uh, on my Rakshasa core, the the Lone Wolves Battle Pass Battle Pass core to this just like hulking like borderline Warhammer forty k Space Marine design, and there's actually an armor coating called Ultramarine Core. Like they're taking heavy inspiration from Warhammer forty k and the Space Marines with this. With this with this event pass, that much is uh, that much is very clear. But let's talk about the actual competitive side of things. The HCS um, HCS split two uh, does start this weekend with the first set of open series matches uh, leading up to Orlando, and basically the big thing. Uh, a bunch of map and mode changes. So the only one that has been taken out is Bizarre Slayer. Which, um, thank God, because Bizarre sucks. <laughs> Bizarre Slayer is a terrible map and mode combination for pro play. Uh, I like I like Live Fire and Streets so much better. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad it has been. I'm glad it has been replaced. Uh, yeah, the new here's here's the new uh, maps for all of the all of the changes. 
So for Capture the Flag, it is now Aquarius, Bazaar, and Catalyst. So uh, we have a second, we have a third CTF map. Uh, so uh, if if map bands become a thing in like the actual HCS, uh, people won't have to play Bizarre CTF anymore because everyone hates Bizarre CTF with good reason. Uh, King of the Hill has just been added, has just straight up been added. And I like this combination of maps because I think it's two of the three best maps in the game. And probably three of the best four. King of the Hill maps, Live Fire, Recharge, Streets. Actually, no, three of the best five, because Aquarius is better than Recharge. But Live Fire and Streets are two of my favorite maps in the game. I might put I might put Aquar Catalyst a little bit higher just because it feels so much like a Halo 3 map. Like, I'd say Live Fire and Catalyst are my top two. Then, depending on the mode, Streets and Aquarius are three and four. They they work better for different modes. But I like that Live Fire, Recharge, and Streets are the King of the Hill maps because they're just big enough to be good for King of the Hill. Because Aquarius, too small and too open. Uh, Catalyst is just pure chaos. And one of the hills is the top bridge that is super narrow. Like, it, that would not be good for comp play. I like playing King of the Hill there, but I can understand why it's not uh, an HCS map. Oddball, same three maps as King of the Hill, Live Fire, Recharge, and Streets. Again, fine. They're, they're three of the bigger 4v4 maps. I kind of wish they'd put Aquarius in this, too. Just because, like, for the same reason Aquarius is a bad King of the Hill map, it would be a very fun oddball map. Just because, like, you don't need as much cover for Oddball than you do as you do King of the Hill. Like, I wish they'd put Aquarius in the Oddball pool. And then, of course, Slayer, Aquarius, Catalyst, Live Fire, Recharge, and Streets. Uh, no complaints there. Like, like no complaints there at all. They're, they're all good maps. Uh, Recharge is probably my least favorite of the good Halo Infinite maps. And then, you know, you got, you got Bizarre and Behemoth, the, the killer bees at, at the bottom. Cause they're, they're both not good. <laughs> Bizarre is okay. Behemoth's terrible. Behemoth is terrible for ranked play. It's too big. And then Strongholds, uh, same as the other non-capture the flag objective, uh, objective maps. Live Fire, Recharge, Streets. Yeah, I get why uh, Capture the Flag is not on Live Fire. Because Live Fire is not a symmetrical map. Uh, Stronghold, same thing. Live Fire, Recharge, Streets. Uh, again, I get that. Catalyst would be absolutely terrible for King of the Hill. Hey, Catalyst would be terrible for, for King of the Hill and Strongholds. I think they should put It and Aquarius into the oddball rotation. But that's just me. I think that would be fun. And as a guy who does play ranked, I want to have more map options for those two game modes because I do like them. And I feel like Catalyst wouldn't actually be a terrible fit for uh, for at least Oddball. It, it wouldn't be good for King of the Hill. I've played King of the Hill there. I get why it's not in the ranked pool. <laughs> but... 
yeah, that's uh, that's the HCS. Let's let's talk about let's talk about the Paramount show. Um, th- this this show did not stick the landing. Like, good lord, everything it it went straight downhill after episode five. Episode six was still tolerable, but seven was awful. Just seven was straight up unwatchable. I, I was barely paying attention to seven. It was, it was bad. That, that didn't even feel like halo. Like you barely saw Soren. Who's the one connection to any kind of halo lore that the Quan had. You, you didn't see chief at all other than like a 20 second long acid trip that he was in. And he didn't talk at all. And like you saw him without his helmet for a couple seconds, like, oh yay, Chief's here. We we connected it back to the main story, kind of. And like, oh, he'll return, and it's your job to show him the way. <laughs> Screw that. That's a boring storyline. The humans found the first Halo, installation zero four. The humans found the first Halo by accident. The Pillar of Autumn was fleeing Reach, jumped into slip space, and came out near what we now know as the fourth Halo ring. That's what happened. And I get they wanted to change it, mix up the lore a little bit, because, you know, the, the first Halo game was not supposed to be as successful as it ended up being. But, man, everything after episode six was bad. I didn't even like episode six that much. Then seven was awful. Eight was, eight was okay, but everything about it felt wrong. Because all of the things that happened in that episode, particularly with Halsey, it, like eight and nine was, was a character assassination of Catherine Halsey. Like, one, I did not, I recently found out, because I, I wasn't, I didn't dive too deep into, like, Halo book lore. I wasn't aware of the fact that Halsey told the Spartan 2s, yeah, I kidnapped you guys. Like, I have to trust you, you have to trust me, I kidnapped you guys as children. And replaced you with with clones that died shortly thereafter so your parents wouldn't know like that like she admitted to that and that's part of that's part of the dichotomy of Catherine Halsey she is she is a female Reed Richards Reed Richards she is a terrible person but is still like on the side of good and in some ways, she's not even as bad as comic book Reed Richards because certain certain iterations of that guy, woof. But yeah, the last two episodes, complete and utter character assassinations of Catherine Halsey. Uh, she would not do anything this version of Halsey did in the last two episodes. Trying to trying to get the other Spartans to kill chief by going behind their backs with like secret orders. No, no, this would, that would, that would never happen. 
her like weird perv assistant. I thought Kai finally killed him, but no, he's still alive. That was that was another one of her flash clones. Uh, she's still just hiding on Reach, right like right across the water from from UNSC Command. I thought she was supposed to be a genius. Like, yeah, just stay on reach. It's a, it's bigger than Earth, but most of it kind of sucks to live on. And I refuse to call that city Reach City. It's New Alexandria, you fucking morons. Like, the finale, everything was bad. Like, the fact that it took that much convincing for Kai and Vanek to believe Chief when they are based off of when they're based off of Kelly they're based off of Rebecca and Fred. Like when those two are based off Rebecca and Fred and it took that much convincing for them to believe Chief, that just feels wrong. And then we get this weird covenant planet that looks vaguely like Sand Trap from Halo 3 and I was like Oh, cool. It looks like Sandtrap. And the fight scene there was cool. Like, they brutalized all of the grunts that were there. They they absolutely brutalized them. Like, Chief landed on top of one. And grunts are like five feet tall. And they're about 110 pounds. They're, they're actually way bigger than they look in the game. It's just you're so tall. you Your perspective is... Because you're playing as Chief. Like, your perspective is from so high up, they look really short. But Chief just landed on top of one, and I, I've never seen someone splatter outside of a vehicle in the Halo franchise. But uh, but there you go. And I think I think Rizkai and Vanek also landed on top of Grunts and just kind of crushed them under their feet. But that fight scene was cool. Only problem, why was it not on High Charity? Like, we've seen High Charity in the show. Why was it not there? Like, I get it. Four Spartans breaking into High Charity would not end well. And the only reason Chief... Probably the only reason Chief survived in Halo 2 is because the Brutes and the Elites were killing each other. And you could just kind of, you could just kind of hang back and pick off the stragglers. Because both the elites and the brutes would engage you in that fight scene, which was really annoying. Because they hadn't gotten word that, oh, Arbiter is working with two humans. Don't kill the demon. That level was really freaking hard if you didn't know how to play it. But I, why was that not on high charity? They could have done the same thing and done like the daring escape. Cause the cop, like they couldn't high charity's massive landed in the hangar, kill everything there and, and work your, work your way out, split up into teams of two spread out. You have long range comms. You have super long range comms spread out in teams of two chief and Kai go or I don't know, maybe Chief and Chief and Riz go one way, Kai and Vanek go the other. So you have people with actual emotions splitting off and, and going going into two separate teams. 
Like, why was that not on high charity? And uh, this episode also proved that McKee was freaking pointless. Was she just there to tempt Chief and sleep with him? It'd make John 117, third petty officer, Master Chief, think with his dick. Was that the only reason McKee was there? Because it sure felt like that was the only reason McKee was there. Because the Covenant planned on killing her after they found Halo, and Kai killed her anyway to break Chief out of the chance so he could get up and fight. Yeah, this... God, this series was dumb. Like, I I defended this show at first. And then the last three episodes just took all of that out of me. And and there's a, a couple other small gripes I have. Actually, no, this isn't a small gripe. What the hell did you do to Miranda? Commander Miranda Keys is one of my favorite characters in the Halo franchise. She is a step below Johnson. It, she is a singular step below Sergeant Johnson, one of the most popular characters in video game history for me. What the heck did you do to her? Her title is Commander, not Doctor. She is not Dr. Keys. She is Commander Keys. I have held that in the entire series because I thought like, oh, she's still wearing a military uniform. She's like never shown issuing military commands. She is shown exclusively doing research and working on transit on translating Sanghealy. And like, sure, she figures out McKee is the one who took out the Gladius and killed the entire crew with, with a couple hunters in tow. We didn't even really get to see the hunters. It was just the friggin' Legolo worms. And the big brute, the big brute in the final fight. The captions actually said, oh yeah, that's Atriox. What? Why was not, why was a bigger deal not made about the fact that this guy was freaking Atriox? Like, you know, the main villain of the later part of the Halo series. Halo Wars 2 and beyond. I know it's only two games, but he was still the main villain. He's an important character. He almost killed Chief in the opening cutscene of Halo Infinite. Hey, that's like, that's like going back and saying, oh yeah, this random elite who was talking to McKee and just drew a circle in the air for some reason was, was Phil Vadam. The Arbiter. Who just wasn't the Arbiter yet. Like, are they going to go back and say, oh yeah, that guy was, that guy was Thelvadam. That guy was the Arbiter. Now that he's speaking, now that he's speaking English, he's going to be all Keith David. Oh my God. To think I liked this show at one point. Am I probably going to come back for season two? Yes. But they're going to be on such a short leash. Because these last three episodes burned me like oh my god those last three episodes was ga were game of thrones finale levels of disappointment like episode five it wasn't the red wedding but it was the battle of blackwater 
like it wasn't the Red Wedding or Watchers on the Wall, but it but it was the Battle of Blackwater. And instead of having, you know, the Red Wedding, Watchers on the Wall, and Battle of the Bastards to look forward to, we we just jumped straight to Battle for Winterfell and Battle of King's Landing. Or actually, let's give it its proper name. The Long Night that no one could fucking see and Battle of King's Landing. Just skip straight to them. In in one season, that's actually impressive. To to go from a quality similar to Blackwater, season two, episode nine of Game of Thrones. One of my favorite episodes of that entire series. And instead of getting other episodes of quality to Reigns of Castamere, Watchers on the Wall, Battle of the Bastards, actually, heck, anything in season four of Game of Thrones. The Lion and the Rose, Mountain, The Laws of Gods and Men, Mountain and the Viper. Any Instead of getting any of that, we just skipped ahead to Long Night and Bells. Ugh. How do you even do that? How do you manage to go from season one, episode five, which was a good episode, the best episode of the entire season? How do you drop in quality that hard in two episodes? How do you drop in quality that hard? Like, Quan and McKee were completely pointless additions. You assassinated the characters of Halsey and Miranda. Where the hell was Johnson? It's like, oh yeah, we made we made Captain Keys black. We don't need to put Johnson in here. No, they're two different characters. And Keys didn't get that much development. He was only in the first game. And then he died. Oh my god. And in a show called Halo, we never see Halo. It was in t- like most of the show was on Reach or other human planets. Like most of the second half of the show took place on Reach. Like, oh yeah, Reach is cool, but you know why Reach was cool? Halo Reach was a really freaking good game. Because it was literally just the Seven Samurai slash the Magnificent Seven slash, even though it came before it, Rogue One. Because Magnificent Seven, Halo Reach, and Rogue One are all based on the same source, Seven Samurai. Only difference in only difference in Reach was the only one where there were six of them. That was the only difference. Because I'm pretty sure Rogue One was a team of seven. And obviously Seven Samurai and Magnificent Seven were teams of seven because it's in the title. And then Reach was six. That was the only distinction. It's the same story. Like, that's why Halo Reach was cool. Because it had this sense of dread. It had this sense of dread. Like, oh, hey, like, we know what we know humanity is going to lose here. We know humanity is going to lose here, but we still care about these characters. They never built that up in the show. And we never even got to see the covenant think about attacking reach. God, I hated these last three episodes. (laughs) 
I didn't expect to get Game of Thrones finale levels of angry, but here we are. Like, it was that bad. And my expectations for the show were already not Game of Thrones level. Because Paramount hasn't earned that trust with me that Game of Thrones previously had, and Marvel currently does. So, like, Game of Thrones wasn't even my expectations. Yet you still were so far under the bar I set for you. Oh, my God. I hope season two is better. I hope in season two we get Johnson, we get Buck, we get the Arbiter, we get, like, passing references to Noble Team. Something. Something to bring me back. But given how this show ended, I highly doubt that. But that's what I got for this episode of The Mashup. Hope you all enjoy. Hope you all enjoy. Hope you all enjoy. Hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. And I'll talk to you guys next Wednesday. See you then. Thank <laughs> you.